Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us. Thank you for the privilege to be here this evening. Thank you for the Word of God and for what you can do through the Word of God. Your power is so real. Your presence is so good. Help us tonight to be able to understand these verses. Give us a little bit of glimpse of what your Word is teaching us. Teach us to pray, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And thank you for standing. Teach us to pray. I want to know how to pray. I want to know how to pray for you. And I want to thank you for praying for me. The first thing that is mentioned here in this verse is confessing your faults one to another. I honestly was just going to skip that part and get on into the message on prayer. But the Lord wouldn't let me. Maybe, just maybe, this is meant to help someone tonight. This first part, confessing your faults one to another. I believe God has a perfect plan and a perfect reason for everything that we do in this building. Do you believe that? I do. That word confess there, your faults one to another, it means, first off, that you've got to acknowledge what to confess. You've got to acknowledge it. The hard thing that comes to our mind when we think of confessing is this. Well, I am not going to stand up and confess my faults to anyone. Because if I begin to do that, people's going to look at me different. If I begin to confess my faults, people's going to think different. And you know what? You're right. People would. People would look at us different. People would probably think about us different. But there's some blessings about confessing. The Lord helped me with this today. The best thing about confessing your faults, and you know what a fault is? It's a slip. A fault is a slip. A fault is an error. Yes, and that fault leads to sin. A fault can also mean, if you look it up, a falling away. And see, what happens to us is, if, if it's, not, it's not if we slip, it's not if we err, and it's not if at times we fall away, it's when we slip. It's when we err, and it's when we fall back just a little bit. When we do that, the danger of shutting it in, the danger of holding it in, boy, don't it add an extra heavy burden in your soul. If you've ever been there, say amen. It adds that extra burden in your soul. It's, it, it, it makes you hindered. And it almost feels like if you're going through life and there is a fault there, there is a slip, there is a error, there is a hindrance, maybe there is a falling away spiritually in your life, it makes you feel like when you come to church, it makes you feel like you're living a lie. You can sit there with a smile on your face and you can act like everything's okay, but way down deep in your soul, there's that nagging feeling of you're just not being what you need to be. And then what happens is the next step above that is 
is you begin to get so eat up with that hindrance and that fault and that slip and that falling, you begin to get so eat up with it that if you're not careful, you'll begin to hate yourself. You'll have no confidence. You'll have no love. You will begin to hate yourself. We've been doing the recovery ministry now for a little while. We have been doing it long enough now to see some patterns, to see some things, to maybe kind of get a little bit more wisdom and understanding of what people are dealing with in their recovery process. And we come to a conclusion the other day in a small discussion. This is the conclusion that we come to, and it's no different than anyone else that's dealing with faults in their life. When someone is getting clean in the recovery ministry, and when someone has been 10 days clean, 20 days clean, 30 days clean, 90 days clean, you can walk up to that person at any time, whether it be a Monday night meeting, whether it be a Sunday morning service, no matter when it is, and they are so brutally honest with you, it'll almost make you blush or it'll almost make you laugh because they just dump their soul out to you. They have nothing to hide. They will begin to tell you things about their life and you will say things in your mind like, I wasn't asking for all of that. I really wasn't want that much detail of what you're dealing with. But they are so, the word that I use, they are so brutally honest about their life. They are just confessing it. They are just throwing it out there. And you know what? They have absolutely nothing to hide. But you let that same person relapse. And you go ahead and write it down. Everything that comes out of their mouth is a lie. They will not tell you the truth. They will not be honest with themselves and they will not be honest with you. They change. And we're no different. I wonder what would happen if you and I would find that godly friend. Listen to me now. Find that godly friend, someone that you can talk to. Someone that you can be 100% honest with and someone that you can be real with and you can go to them and say, hey, I've got this one little area in my life that I am slipping in. I'm slipping. It's a fault. There's this area in my life, friend, a good friend. I'm talking about a good friend. Someone that you can trust. Someone that you can talk to. I put down here, who in the world would we confess to? And how do we do it? You find that good, godly friend that you can go to and you can say, help me right here, I'm slipping. You'd be surprised how God can give you victory. Be surprised. But most of the time, the people that we want to talk to about our errors and our faults is people that when we're telling them, we find pleasure in telling them. If you're sitting down with a friend and you're telling them your slip-ups and you're telling them your faults, 
and you are getting pleasure by telling them and they're enjoying it and you're laughing about it and you're cutting up about it and you're going on about it and you're sharing that, you're confessing that to that kind of friend, you're talking to the wrong friend. Find you a friend that loves God enough that when you slip or when they slip or when you fall back or when they fall back, when you go to them to talk to them about it, you talk to them humbly and you talk to them with conviction in your soul, not joy in your soul when you're telling them. If that makes sense, amen. Find someone that you can be real with. Find someone that cares enough that you can be real with. Let me tell you, listen, child of God, I have no idea why God's laid this on my heart so strong to share this. I wasn't going to share none of this. I don't know what it is about Christians, but if you're saved and not saved, man, well, if you are truly born again, and if there is a person that you are slipping with, slipping, if there is a person that you are falling away with, you know who would be the very first person that you ought to confess to? The person that you're messing up with. You ought to go to them and say, look, we need to stop doing this. This ain't good. God's not pleased with it. I'm beginning not only to feel bad, but I am now beginning to get miserable over the life that I'm living because I'm living a lie. Confess that. Get that out. Talk about it. Quit trying to bury it. Quit trying to act like it's not there. And let God heal your soul. Let God heal your soul. Let Him fix it. Be a good place to start. 2 Samuel 12, 3, you know what David said to Nathan? I've sinned against the Lord, Nathan. He told him, I've messed up, Nathan. I've sinned against the Lord. Faults in our life. Faults. Faults that should be thought about. Faults that should be one day outgrown. And faults that should be corrected. If you're perfect tonight, if you have zero faults in your life and you are 100% perfect, please stand and wave your hands so we can all look at you. Every single one of us has faults at different areas in our lives. Find that friend. Confess that fault. Have them pray with you and you pray for them. You say, preacher... The things in my life, they're so little. The things in my life, I wouldn't even consider them a sin. The things in my life, the little areas, they're just little bitty things and I don't need to nitpick and there ain't no need for you to nitpick and there ain't no need to get all serious about those little faults in my life. Listen, preacher, there's some things that I've been dealing with and I've struggled with for years, but I'm not going to get all bent out of shape over it. It's just little stuff. It's false. And I am not going to go find me a good friend. I'm not going to pray. There ain't no need to. It ain't hurting nothing. It's not hurting not one person, Preacher Keith. It's just little. There's this big old castle. Just big old castle. 
And the keepers of the gate in the castle went to the Lord of the castle and said, Sir Lord, you see that little bitty girl right over there? And the Sir Lord of the castle said, Yep. The keeper of the gate said, That little girl is your enemy. That's your enemy. And the Lord of the castle said, Well, I'm not worried about that little girl. What's that little girl going to be able to do to me? Why, she's so little. There is nothing that she can do. And the keeper of the gate said, Yes, but Sir Lord of the castle, she is very little. But when you lock the gates at night, she is very little. But she's still big enough to unlatch the gate to let bigger things in that can cause you a lot of damage. Did you hear that? It's just a little thing. It's not that big. There's no need for me to find a friend. There's no need for me to get those little things right. Those little things are not hurting anyone. Nobody don't have to know, preacher. Yeah, but it's those little things that pulls the latch open to the door that allows the bigger things to come in and destroy us. Are you with me tonight, church? Just confess it. Just get it out. Just lay it out there. Quit trying to push it down and hide it. Just get it out. Confess your faults one to another. And the second thing, it says pray one for another. Pray. This is where I wanted to get tonight, but the Holy Spirit would not let me get past that first point. Pray. Wouldn't it be a blessing if we all prayed more? Did I kill you in Zona confessing? Are you still with me? Wouldn't it be a blessing if we all prayed more? Is there anyone in here tonight praying too much? It'd be a blessing if we would all just pray more. If we could pray more, we would blame less. If we could pray more, we could understand more. If we could understand more, we could help more. What is the best thing? Thought about this today. Charlie, I believe you're a Christian. My spirit and your spirit's bared witness one for another. I know you're not perfect. You know I'm not perfect. But if you're truly my brother in Christ, what is the number one best thing that I could ask from Charlie Wheeler? What's the best thing I could ever ask from this man? Charlie, would you pray for me? That is the best thing that you could ever ask from another believer Just ask them if they would pray for you. There is nothing any better. Marvin, you've known me since I was just a crazy boy running up and down there, riding them dirt bikes and terrorizing the neighborhood and running from the law. You know what's the best thing, Marvin, I could ask you and Peggy to do for me? Would you? Would you two pray for me? I just need you to pray for me. 
There is nothing no greater than that. Every now and then, you know what you ought to do, child of God? Every now and then, you ought to walk walk by another child of God. And before you leave, you need to look them square in the eyes. And you need to say, I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to be honest. Will you please pray for me this week? Will you pray for me this week, Zeb? Do you promise? Steve, would you please pray for me this week? Do you promise me? I need it. There's nothing any greater than to ask another believer to pray for you. There's nothing any greater for me to ask another believer to pray for me. Why? Why do we need people to pray for us? Because the effectual fervent prayer, that means to be mighty in. That means to be be active in. That means somebody be serious about praying for somebody. There's nothing any greater. The righteous man, yes, it does mean holy, but it also means the innocent. That's why every now and then you ought to go to some of these children. It does mean holy, but it also means innocent. There is a man in this church who told me about his son, and I'm not going to call their name. I don't want to embarrass them. But this man's son has a prayer list. And he told me that on that prayer list, he has been praying for Arlen Elkins. Arlen's on vacation this week. I told Arlen this already. He said, my son has been praying for Arlen. And he's been praying that Arlen's headaches would go away. He said, I told my son, I thank God has answered the prayers. I thank Arlen's headaches are gone. He said, well, I believe I'm going to keep praying for him just in case they want to come back. You want to find you somebody to pray for you? Find you one of these little ones. Find you the innocent. Go to the innocent and say, will you pray for me? No one, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? Please. Hey, boys, Reardon boys. I'm going to ask you, because I'm dead serious right here. I am not playing games. I am serious. Will you guys promise me that you'll pray for me tonight before you go to bed? Will you promise? Will you promise? Will you promise? Amen. Will you promise? Kicks. Will you pray for Pat? That ought to get us through the night right there. Hey, girls, will y'all pray for me tonight? You promise? Okay. (laughs) I guess we're good, amen. I'm telling you, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Yes, it means holy, but don't ever forget. Will you pray for me, buddy? Hey, Ben, will you get your girls to pray for me tonight, bud? Not only holy, but it also means the innocent, the little ones. Get the little ones to pray for you. Hey, Morgan, 
You pray for me back there, buddy? He come to me today and he said, Preacher, I'm ready to get baptized. We're going to have a baptism on July the 10th, that Sunday night. I'm going to baptize you, but I need you to pray for me. I see you back there, Sadie May. Sadie May, will you pray for me tonight? Thank you. We need to pray for our children. You say, Pastor, what about us? We'll pray for you too. If, if, I, had to, if I had to make a decision tonight, <laughs> let's just keep it real, all right? If it was only going to be one or the other, I, I, I appreciate all your prayers. But the prayer of the innocent. Pray for our children. Pray for our friends. Pray for your pastor. Pray for our church. I want to ask you something in your prayer time. This is wild stuff, but I'm just asking. When you're praying, Abby, for whatever it is that you feel that you would love for God to do for you and your husband and your home, have you ever prayed those same prayers for me and my family? When you're praying, Miss Lydia, for your husband and for your children, and you're asking God specifically, God, would you do this for my family? Have you ever asked those same things for me and my family? Whatever your heart's desire is for you and your family, would you please ask those same things for me and my family? And when I'm praying for the heart's desire for me and my family, should I not pray those same prayers for you and your family? Wow. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Lord, help us when we pray. I went home today after this morning's message. I went into my prayer closet and I prayed. And I come back out in my study and I just picked up reading in my Bible where I'd left off preaching from this morning. And I was reading in the book of Mark and as I was reading along, I got over there where Judas had betrayed Jesus. It's just right after where I preached where Jesus was in the house in Bethany of Simon the leper and Mary anointed him with the ointment out of the alabaster box. And right after that, I just kept reading, not looking for a message really, just reading. And I come to the garden. And this is what the Lord really burdened me over during that tent meeting that Monday night. In Mark chapter 14, Judas betrays Jesus. Jesus Jesus comes to a place called Gethsemane. And he took Peter and James and John with him. And it is here in this garden where Jesus began to pray. 
And he asked the father, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And it was there in this garden when Jesus prayed that the Bible teaches us he was under so much pressure that his sweat became as great drops of blood. And you remember he went to his disciples and you know what they was doing? Sleeping. He goes back to his disciples again. Hey, watch, pray. I know your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. And he goes back and he prays. And when he comes back, he finds them asleep. He goes and he comes back and he finds them asleep. And he says, go ahead, take your rest. Just go ahead and sleep. And the Bible teaches us that the reason that they were sleeping is because they were sleeping for sorrow. They were so down. They were so burdened. They were so wore out. All they could do in that garden that night was sleep. The Lord dealt with me. You know why Jesus didn't teach his disciples to pray the way he prayed in the garden? It's because they was asleep. And I wonder how long has it been if ever you have ever prayed broken, heavy, and with tears over people. I'm talking really wet over people. People that's dying and going to hell. People that's out of God's will. People in your family, people in my family, people in our church, people in our community, sons and daughters and grandbabies. When is the last time that we prayed the Gethsemane prayer? I realize that we will never be able to pray what Jesus prayed because he was fixing to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the brokenness that comes in the garden. If that makes sense, say amen. I'm talking about praying with a brokenness. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know what we ought to pray? We ought to pray God give us our tears back. We ought to pray God give us our burdens back. We ought to pray God change my life and change my heart. God, help me to be what I need to be and help me to weep for my children and for my grandchildren. And God, help me to weep and cry when I pray for our church that God would do something special every time that we come in this place. The brokenness of the prayer that was in that garden Elias was a man with such passions as you and I. And he prayed that it would not rain for the space of three years and six months, and it didn't. And then he prayed again that it would rain, and it did. Wow, the power of prayer. That's a reference to 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse number 1. So tonight, 
You can't come to an altar and try to make yourself cry. You can't do that. You can't come to an altar and go, if I can get a tear to come out, then God will know I'm serious. You can't do that. But we can come to this altar tonight and we can pray. We can pray for one another. I've asked you to pray for me. I need your prayers. You say you got something going on, preacher? I do. I've got a lot going on. I've got all kinds of things going on. I've got things going on in my mind. I've got things going on in my heart. I got a call today from my, my uh, dad's wife who said, just want to let you know your dad's taking a turn for the worse. It's probably not going to be long. Yeah, I've got a lot going on. I'd say within the next week or so, I'll be burying my dad. Yeah, I've got a lot going on. But I'll be honest with you. I feel like I've always got a lot going on. Do you know anyone who don't have a lot going on? I feel like we all got a lot going on. We got situations, we got heartaches, we got things ahead, we got things behind. We've got mountaintops, we've got valleys. We all need prayer. See, I need you to pray for me, but you need to pray for yourself. You need to pray for you, and you need to pray for your family. You need to pray that God would touch you. You need to pray that God would help you. You need to gather your kids up and put your arms around them and pray with your children tonight. You do. Your kids ought to know, you know what? You know why I like coming here? I love coming here because mom and daddy, we go down to the altar and we pray together here in this church. We ought to do that. Gather them up, pray with them. You're the mom of this whole row. Gather them all up and pray with them. You're sitting there thinking that. Let's see how many kids I got here tonight. They're all with you tonight. Get them all. Amen? Let's pray. Let's talk to the Lord. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It works. It works. Are you with me? It works. So let's pray tonight. Let's pray tonight. I know somebody might say, you want us to pray with you? No, no. I just want you to pray for me. Because I'm going to pray with my wife, and I'm going to pray with my grandbabies, and I'm going to pray with my daughter and my son-in-law, and I'm going to pray with my family over here, and I'm going to pray with my family over here. I want us to have us a little time of prayer in the altar tonight. All my family, I want us to pray together tonight in this altar. So let's pray. Miss Gina don't need to come play. She's sitting here beside her husband. They can pray together. We can pray without music. All right? Come on, Watkins, Rice, family. Let's pray together. 